I'm Ken Canera, and this is Beyond Consulting. Today, we welcome Caitlin McCarthy to the studio. Caitlin is the CEO and founder of Ionic Development Company and a former Boston Consultant Group consultant. Before we get started, before we welcome Caitlin to the studio, I just want to say we've had a ton of technical difficulties today. (laughs) We're really hoping this goes well. And also just to remind everybody that Beyond Consulting is sponsored by ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining. Thank you for having me. So Caitlin, this is number two try on this (laughs) podcast recording. So if it feels like Groundhog's Day again, I apologize. But for those of our listeners that don't know you, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and why we're talking today? Sure. My name is Caitlin McCarthy. I started a real estate development firm in Boston, Massachusetts after working for a real estate developer for a little over five years. This was after my stint in management consulting at BCG. And I started it because I really wanted to see more female-owned developers in Boston. I think this isn't a specific thing to Boston, but generally real estate development tends to be male-dominated. And I felt like I wanted to take the chance to make a difference. Awesome. Well, you certainly are. And a a gutsy move going out on your own. So give us a little bit of recap, though, in terms of just kind of like how you got into development, because you didn't come come straight from consulting. Well, you came from consulting into development, but you actually got your start in kind of construction and development before that. Is that right? Yeah, actually with a civil engineer major in undergrad. And I got the civil engineering from an interest in architecture and math. So I was looking at both architecture and engineering degrees. And I really liked the engineering program and specifically the engineering program at Northeastern. What's great about Northeastern University here in Boston is that you get to try out different types of roles through the co-op program. And so you get three, six months internships while you're there to, to kind of see what it's actually like in the real world. And I think what you find is that studying engineering is very different than doing engineering. And I found that I didn't necessarily want to be a design engineer, but I did love the built environment. And I really loved being a part of building buildings and, and building things that you can see at the end of the day. So that's sort of how I ended up in construction management. There tends to be a lot of civil engineers that go into it, and it's sort of a more project management type role. While I was in construction management, though, I found myself wanting to be earlier on in the decision-making process. I wondered why buildings were built where they were, how they were designed, why they were designed in that way. And that's when real estate development really piqued my interest. And in order to go into real estate development, I felt like I needed some skills that were complementary to my engineering skills, what you might call the business skills or the soft skills. And so I thought an MBA might be a good way to get those skills. Um, And I was lucky enough to get into HBS here in Boston and spent two years there. And while I was there, I learned about this thing called management consulting, which I hadn't heard of before and didn't know was a career path. And I thought that Management consulting was a great way to put the skills I was learning at HBS into practice. And so I was, again, lucky enough to get an offer at BCG and joined BCG right after business school and got that, you know, best-in-class business training that these consulting firms offer. And so I love my time there, but I miss building things and I miss having a physical outcome of my work. And so that's kind of when I made the decision that 
I should go back to the original plan and, and head into real estate development. Excellent. What Caitlin didn't tell you is that we actually met when she was at Harvard Business School and I was trying to recruit her to come to our firm's booze and company, but she got a better offer at, at BCG. I think she made the right decision. So let's let's talk about Ionic first and kind of what it is and what you're focused on. Let's start there. Sure. My experience is really in, in big buildings in the middle of the city. And so I'm starting with kind of this, this big dream that I'll continue to work on those projects. So it's commercial real estate, some residential. I have experience in building offices, multifamily labs. And so I'm really kind of agnostic as to the asset type, but really just looking to build on my experience that I've already had. So my hope is that the first project will fall into that category. Excellent. And you're kind of taking it on a project by project basis. Is that right? Yeah. So I am looking at a few different routes. I am looking to partner with other developers on projects. And specifically where this can come into play is when the city or the state put land up for, they call it an RFP, where they're kind of selling the, the rights for a developer to build on that land. Mm-hmm. They really prioritize women and minority owned businesses. And so there's been some really great examples of kind of larger established developers partnering with women and minority owned businesses as a way to help help them kind of build up their portfolio and, and build up their business. So I think that would be a really great way for me to partner. I'm also looking to partner on the private side as well for companies that again are just really putting diversity first and wanting to help grow the the diversity within the industry. And then separately, I am looking at projects on my own to see these would be a little bit smaller, but to see if there's any opportunities where I can come in and acquire a property and then develop it. So my experience with real estate development is limited to HDTV. (laughs) So for me and the rest of us, could you walk us through kind of like how a a project would work, say maybe starting from you find a lot that looks prime for development and kind of like take it from there? Sure. So if you have, let's call it just a blank lot that's, that's up for sale, the first thing you figure out is how much you would buy it for. And so the way you kind of back into that number is by looking at what you think you could build there and either you're looking at the current zoning or if you think you can kind of get a zoning change, you would look at that and you kind of roughly sketch out what size building. If we're talking about multifamily, which is the term used for apartment buildings and condo buildings, you would say how many units times what rent do I think I'm going to get for the unit, you know, minus how much I think it's going to cost to build. So you're sort of building out a model to see, what you might build and what your return on investment would be. And you adjust the cost that you would pay to be what would give you the, the best return or a return that you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And so then you would kind of go against other bidders in some scenarios. In some scenarios, it's more of an off-market type situation. And you would buy that land. And at the same time, you're sort of running through the con- these conceptual designs to kind of figure out how the numbers would work. You would be meeting with potential investors who would look to come into the project with you. So the developer themselves 
actually don't put up most of the capital. It's usually an investor, an LP, who would put up most of the capital. Then once you've acquired the land, gone through your due diligence period in which you're sort of making sure all the paperwork makes sense, you're maybe running a few tests to see, make sure there's no contamination in the soil or, or various other tests you can run to make sure there's no big red flags, and you've closed on the property, that's when you start to put together the, the more detailed design. So you're working with architects, engineers, a whole design team to start to build out what the project would look like. You then, at different points throughout the design, are meeting with the city, and depending on what type of zoning or what type of permits you need from the city, you would start to go through that process. And that's where it sort of becomes an iterative process between the city and the design team, because the city has certain asks and, and the developer has certain wants, and so you're sort of working together to find the best solution for that property. Mm -hmm. So once you get to a point where everybody's satisfied with the property, that's when you go to get a construction loan. And so most of the project would be financed with a construction loan. And then you start to build. So shovel in the ground. Um, and then as you're building, the developer is really monitoring the progress, reporting back to the lender, reporting back to investors on how the project is going. And then you would start to also look into branding and marketing of a building. So all the buildings, you know, that you see in downtown cities right now have fancy names and color schemes, and you would bring in a marketing team to help with that. Once you get towards the close to being finished, you would start to lease up or sell. Again, if we're talking about multifamily of the units, if you're talking about office, you start that process a lot earlier on to try to get a tenant but you start to lease up. And then once construction is done, that's when you, again, lease up the building as fast as you can to get to a point that's known as stabilization. And then once you're at stabilization, some developers would sell the property at that point to somebody who's more of a property, like an asset manager, so they hold it more long-term, or some developers themselves are long-term holders. Oh, interesting. And at that point, they would do what's called refinance and so they would refinance the loan because now kind of the risk is behind you and you would get a better rate and sort of that's, that's the other way. If you talk about kind of exits of a deal, you could either refinance it or um, sell it. Oh, interesting. And it's funny because my assumption before this conversation would be that you would hold that as part of your portfolio, but the goal is to actually sell it so that you can focus on what you're good at, which is developing. And different developers have different strategies. Some are long-term holders and some sell and some do what's right based on that moment in time. <laughs> That's pretty interesting. And then what about, you mentioned a bunch of stuff. You mentioned looking for deals, you mentioned construction, you mentioned design, you mentioned like working with the city. Like if you take kind of like any given project, all other things being equal, what tends to be the biggest kind of like portion of, of your time? That's a good question. I think it really depends on the project. If you're looking to either change zoning or do complicated permitting, mm. that could take up a, a really long time. If you're building what's called as of right, which means that you're building exactly what the city says you can build at that time on that land, the permitting part would take a little bit less time, and then you're probably spending more time on the actual construction of the building. But again, it depends on the size of the building, the complication of permitting. So really, either one of those sides can can be the, the longer lead. Okay, so because not a lot of consultants go into real estate or construction development or anything like that. What makes for a successful real estate developer? 
Yeah, I think at the end of the day, just like consultants, we're generalists. I just mentioned a bunch of different facets of the project that are industries unto their own. So what you end up doing is at any moment in time, you have to become a bit of an expert on a certain industry and be able to problem solve within that industry. So I think what consultants learn to do, which I think is helpful in real estate development, is very quickly get up to date on new industries and new types of problems. Two is put a structure and a process around the problem solving. You can run to a lot into a lot of really gray areas where you're not really sure what the next step is. And part of what you learn as a consultant is to define the next step and define the process and then get feedback on that. And a lot of times that you're the person trying to move the ball forward. So it's important that you can kind of set out those next steps. I also think as a consultant, you learn how to manage different stakeholders. So every entity I just mentioned is a stakeholder in a project. And each entity has different wants, concerns, needs, and they speak a different language. And so one of the great things I learned about in consulting is how to tailor a message to a certain audience, depending on what you think that they're interested in. And I think the third thing would be what you often find in consulting is that, or what you always find in consulting is that it is the people actually doing the day-to-day work that likely have the solution and they likely have really good ideas. And so as a consultant, you're often, often interviewing people and pulling together different thoughts that you hear to paint a cohesive picture for maybe the CEO who doesn't get to interact on a day-to-day with thousands of employees. And I think similarly in real estate development, you need to work with the people that are doing the day-to-day work again in any one of those different areas. And they likely have the best solution and and they're likely going to make the best recommendation where it's your job as the developer to help see the bigger picture. And maybe while they might have the best solution based on their technical knowledge, it's your job to kind of also pull back and do the, you know, 50,000 point of view. And so I think that that's another skill that consulting helped, helped me to learn. I unfortunately don't use my PowerPoint skills as much as I used to. (laughs) Darn. But I do think that there's a ton of transferable tasks um, that maybe aren't, it's hard to recognize because there aren't a lot of people going from management consulting into um, real estate. In fact, when I left BCG and they they allowed me to to look through the BCG alumni database, I think there were all three people that have ever left BCG and gone into real estate. And so... It's very small, but um, but I do think there are a lot of transferable skills. Wow. It's much lower than I would have even thought. I would have thought like, okay, just law of large numbers. There has to be dozens, not three. Prior to BCG, you were actually, uh, you worked for Turner Construction, which was a large scale construction company, and then, and then went to BCG, then went back to development. Could you help us like understand the difference in the, those two companies? Because from first look, it looks like, I mean, just based on the titles, focused purely on the, the actual building, whereas the other was focused on the investing side of things. Is that right? You mean BCG and Turner? Sorry. Yeah. From Turner to HYM. Yeah. HYM is actually a developer. And so they are the day-to-day boots on the ground. And so a big part of what I did at HYM was manage the general contractor and Turner would be known as the general contractor. So... It was sort of like my original goal, moving a little bit uh, earlier in in the design process. And so while I was at HYM, I got to learn about more about the design process. And instead of, you know, 
as a GC, you're managing several subcontractors. So that was part of what I did at Turner, but at HYM, it's more of the, you are interfacing with investors every day. You're interfacing with the city. You're interfacing with, with the GC, but also the large design team, which includes countless engineers and consultants. So you're taking a little bit of a higher level view of the project. Um, whereas on, when you're on the GC side, you're really just focusing on executing the construction. Obviously, going into consulting isn't a typical path for a, a real estate developer, but is that a typical kind of career path or career trajectory for someone in the space to start with like a GC and then go to an investor? Yes. There's a lot of uh, people who start at a GC and then move towards, uh, move and work for developers. In fact, a lot of developers, a lot of the big names in Boston were started by people who left uh general contracting firm. Okay, so you already answered my one question that I was going to ask, which is how consulting kind of helped you prepare for real estate development. And maybe this is a tough free to answer because you had a quote unquote real job before consulting. But where do you feel like consulting kind of might not fully prepare folks to enter a role like you had, for example, at uh, HYM? I think my first week I showed up and did a PowerPoint deck and everybody was really confused. So, I, no, I think that there's a reason behind all of this. But when you're at a company like BCG, there's a lot of focus put on the process and the output of what, whatever problem you're trying to solve. Whereas I think when I was at HYM or even when I was at Turner, there's much more focus on just kind of solving the problem and people will ask questions later about the process. So I just think it's a different way to think about things. And I think there's probably a, a happy medium about presenting a process that you're using to solve a problem. But a lot of times there's always a time crunch. And so it's just get to the answer. And if I have questions on the process, I'll ask you later. And I don't need to see it in like a fancy slide. If you just, you know, write it on a piece of paper and slide it across the table, that's good too. And so I think that there's there's different ways that the both go about solving problems. Okay. What if some of our listeners were interested in this as a potential career path? Because a lot of consultants like have an interest in real estate investing, probably more on like the, I would say what I would call like casual consumer type of, you know, flipping of homes and stuff like that. Suppose they did have an interest in kind of like real estate development. What would you suggest to them if they had no previous experience? I would do my best if I was still at a consulting firm to get on the closest project you could find in real estate development. And those usually happen in the infrastructure space. It a little bit depends what office you're in. For example, I know BCG New York, which is where I was located, didn't do a ton of infrastructure. But if I was interested really in any career path that I didn't have a background in, I would try to get as close as I could with a project so that at least I could demonstrate that I have some experience that could be transferable. I think the other option is there are real estate consulting firms. And if you look at the bigger real estate firms like Heinz, for example, which is nationwide, you're going to find probably more one-to-one kind of skill sets. Like, especially if you're going to a consulting firm like JLL, for example, I think there's a ton of similarities. And there you, there, there you would use your PowerPoint skills a lot. That probably would be like a good interim step. So you're still doing the consulting, but you're just now focused on real estate. And then from there, you're meeting a lot of developers and different people along the real estate food chain, and you can kind of decide in what part of the food chain you might fit the best. Okay. And specifically, what advice would you give to a woman that was interested in getting in the real estate game? I I know part of the reason you're out on your own is because you're trying to kind of solve that problem as well. 
I would say it's much needed. We are the end consumers, <laughs> just as we're half of the <laughs> yeah. population, and so we are half of the end consumer. And there's often very random times and moments where being a woman has allowed me to have a different point of view when looking at design that have really come in handy because it's something you wouldn't think about if you weren't a woman. I'll give you an example, designing a bathroom with cabinets that can actually fit a hairspray bottle standing up. You know, like these types of things that you might not think about um, unless you're dealing with it every day. And so it's much needed. I also think the level of, or more and more women are investing in real estate and coming up on the LP side. So I really think that, again, it's much needed on the developer side to, to have a diverse team, not just women, but all sorts of diversity, because at the end of the day, you want your product to please as many people as possible. But I would just specifically for women, I think reaching out to other women in the industry to see what their experience has been like. And I would recommend talking to different people at different points in the value chain so that you can see kind of what the different challenges might be at, at each one. Excellent. I'm getting the sense that you're taking it more as like a welcome challenge versus some kind of insurmountable. Totally. Awesome. So that's really great. Everybody realizes the value that women bring. And so it's definitely a hot market right now. Like if you were recruiting as a woman in real estate, I do think that there's a lot of people that would love to have you come work for them. Excellent. Thanks for sharing that. And then I guess I would also be curious, as you know, uh, Caitlin, our, our listeners are either currently in consulting, or maybe they just took that kind of like first job out of consulting. And just always curious to see if there's any resources, either books, content, blog that, that you would recommend. Sure. I'll give you a kind of high level book that I just read and then a very like nuts and bolts book that I think was really helpful. So I think Napoleon Hill's Outwitting the Devil was a really helpful book about overcoming fear and overcoming the different barriers that first ourselves in our mind. On the nuts and bolts side, there's a book called Execution by Larry Bossidy and Ram Charan that actually my last boss recommended. And it has some very tactical strategies for how to execute on a business. And so I think kind of different ends of the spectrum, but both are books that I recently read that I felt like I took a lot away from. Awesome. Could you talk a little bit about Outwitting the Devil? I'm curious about that one. Sure. It's a book that actually was written back in the 70s, but they didn't publish it because they thought it was a little bit controversial. But it actually has a lot of the same ideas that you hear about now with either the secret or positive thinking. And it's just about how we can often have blockers in our minds that are fear, anxiety, and that you have to be constantly working to overcome those or else you'll never do anything kind of outside of your comfort zone or, or anything new or different. And that sometimes we can be our own worst enemies. And so it's just a book about overcoming that. It's actually the idea is like he's sort of interviewing the devil and, and the idea being that the devil talks about all of these all of these things that he puts to try to inhibit us being successful. And so it's kind of uh, acknowledging those, learning about them, and recognizing when maybe it's, it's your own mindset getting in the way sometimes. Awesome. I'm definitely going to give that a look. As someone that struggles with imposter syndrome basically every day, yeah. uh, I, uh, I feel like that could probably be helpful for me. So, well, thanks so much. And so, Caitlin, just to kind of like wrap things up, if people were interested in learning more about Ionic or if they happen to be sitting on a plot of real estate that just needs <laughs> to be developed in Boston, where should they look? How should they find you? Sure, I think they can find me on LinkedIn or I'm sure they reach out to you if they can't find me on LinkedIn and you can pass along my contact info. 
Excellent. Yeah. And we will put um, all relevant links as well in the podcast description as well. Caitlin, thanks so much for joining. For everybody else, if this is the first time you're listening, make sure to subscribe on Amazon, Apple. What's the third one called? Amazon, Spotify, Spotify. Amazon, Apple or Spotify. Yes. If you want to look at past episodes, you can check out beyondconsulting.info. And then lastly, if you want to get in touch with me directly or anybody else at my firm, it's going to be eca-partners.com. For everybody else, we look forward to next week. Thank you so much. Thank you.